Welcome to Getting Heated, the place to debate and discuss all things surf-related. We've got a stacked lineup today. We are weighing in on the controversial scores between Italo Ferreira and Connor Coffin's clash in Narrabeen. And with plenty of shocking upsets, why are some of the CT's top competitors not living up to the hype in Australia? Plus, he just dominated the Rip Curl Narrabeen Classic. Is Gabriel Medina the gnarliest competitor of all time? Finally, the new locations of Newcastle and Narrabeen have been action-packed. But has it all been good for the tour? Now back from an epic surf trip, here's Coco Ho. Hello everyone and welcome to Getting Heated. I'm happy to be back and reunited with these two. Mick Fanning and Ross Williams. Guys, what did I miss? Well, let's see. You missed two CTs. You missed Mick Fanning getting the jersey back on. Not that much. It all happened so fast. It's a blink of an eye. I tried to pay attention between barrels. Big congratulations to Caroline Marks and Gabriel Medina for winning the Rip Curl Narrabeen Classic. Oh, incredible surfing. Caroline Marks was flawless. And Gabe Medina, wow. He's out of this world right now. Coco, I think he did well staying in the barrel in Mexico. He didn't miss that much. <laughs> Let's get straight into the air that sparked the debate in every surf fan online. Italo Ferreira versus Connor Coffin sent the internet into a frenzy with surf fans debating if Italo's air was a make or not. After that, the entire heat was put under a microscope. So the heat one question is, was Italo's air misjudged and was it a part of a larger issue of questionable judging? Ross, what's your take? Yeah, that was pretty contentious. Um, you know, this is nothing new. We, we've been kind of wrestling with this topic for a few years now. You know, it's just hard. Here, here's the thing. My point of view on this, Mick, is not all errors are the same. And, and I want to relate this to another real tricky situation for scores and somewhere where there's a lot of controversy and that's barrels at pipeline or chopu here's a here's a good analogy um sometimes at pipe and chopu someone will take off on say an eight foot double up one of the gnarliest technical late drops of their life get barreled but not really and kick out and the judges will fillet them with a, a 1.8 because they didn't get behind the curtain um, I relate this to errors where they make it 95%, but not that extra 5%. And being that I feel like they should have the, the capacity to be able to understand that there are some points to be rewarded there. It shouldn't be open or shut door. I, I really feel like there's room for 3.5s, 4.5s, and 5.5s, as opposed to, let's say it's low road out of that and from the whitewash clean, we're looking at an eight point ride or higher. Um, to me, that should have been like a five, something like that, because he made the air, he ran into shallow water and you know the wave engulfed him. So I, I understand that you need to draw a line in the sand. It makes sense, you have to be clear with the surfers so that people aren't arguing all day, it was a make or was it not, but I just wish there was room to wiggle with a little bit of more, let's say, nuance. Pretty much, you sort of hit the nail on the head with the room to move. I felt like the judges in this event didn't give themselves any room to move, especially in those first two days. It was like the judging scoring system was out of 7.5. They were very reluctant to go any higher. Most way down the four to six range. If you got a six, you're like, wow, I've nailed this heat. I felt like they just boxed themselves in. And that's where the scores just got a little bit funny. On the air situation, yeah, look, my one thing is that he, he landed, but 
then he went to pat the cat to get it out of there. I think you and I kind of agree that, you know, the air, um, it, it was not perfect. It, you know, it wasn't a make, so th there wasn't the excellent score there to be thrown. You know, th that was the right call. Where maybe you and I might disagree, Mick, is I was actually looking at the scores, because just like you were telling me before, I watched the heat back as well today with Italo and Connor. They got so hung up on critical sections. It was it was kind of irritating to me. So it became a wave catching contest. You had to go to the south. You had to get those big backwashing closeouts. And so basic Rios, basic off the lips that were still still great, like Connor's off the lips that he did in those heats and throughout the day. Morgan, all these guys, they cracked the lip. They were surfing solid, but they were just off the lips. But they would get so heavily rewarded if it was a critical section. So to me, it became, you know, there was there was definitely a luck factor there where you had to get these bigger sort of closeouts to just woo the judges with these critical turns. Whereas uh, Italo in that heat, for me, outperformed by a mile, um, Connor Copper. Connor got a 5.8 in the dying seconds. And he just did a basic snap and hit that closeout. It wasn't bad. Connor rips. I freaking love the way Connor's backside is. But um, Italo was performing. His waves were a touch smaller, but still, the moves he did were the epitome of critical. I mean, he was pushing. He was going fast. He's super risky. Um, I, I just thought he outperformed Connor. And, and that whole event, I thought, was really weird that way, where they're forcing you to hit that closeout. Well, you sort of answered your own question there, Ross. I felt Connor's 5.6, he flowed perfectly from turn to turn, where I felt like Italo was a bit stoppy starty on his 5.6. You know, he sort of placed that first turn, that the carve was amazing. But then the third turn was pretty soft as well. Um, so I felt that was a bit stoppy starty. So they put flow on this side of into this heat that he wanted to see you linking turns together but yeah once again I felt like if you didn't have the big sections you won't get the big score and it was definitely a wave catching contest and throughout the whole event it seemed like it was so hard to fight back because there might have been one better wave than any other in the whole heat and it's it really made it tough for for guys to really fight back and that's that's my point, Mick. Where I got hung up was he got a flat five on his last wave um, compared to Connor's 5.8 on his last wave. He did a little check turn snap on a, on a set wave and then hit the lip and that's it. Whereas Italo pushed super hard and did two tail blows on his last wave um, and got a five. So again, I just, I just wish that they would leave more room for performing and less credit for just catching a taller wave. At the end of the day, agree to disagree or whatever you, however you want to see it, I think the judges are going to go back and they've got a lot of reviewing to do this event just to make themselves better and more accountable coming for Margaret River and Rottnest Island. Yeah, well, uh, don't hold your breath on that. I think they probably think they nailed it. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds to me like the judges are getting judged now. When we return, why are some of the CT's top competitors not living up to their hype in Australia? Meanwhile, Gabriel Medina is dominating his heat and having the most fun doing it. Goes for rotation. <laughs> is he the greatest competitor ever? We'll be right back. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yeah. 
Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire. By famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Welcome back to Getting Heated, joined by my opinionated counterparts, Mick Fanning and Ross Williams. Guys, I need to mention Medina's new basketball claims. Where did those come from? I don't know. He's in a soccer game. Now he might get himself in a basketball game. I was hoping he'd make the ESPN highlights. I thought that was a pretty good move there, a little sidestep. Well, Medina's dominance has continued, and that's the subject of Heat 2. Gabriel Medina has always been dominant and technical in the water. So, Heat 2 question is, is Medina the gnarliest competitor ever? Even more so than Slater and Andy. Mick, you know him the best. What's your take? Yeah, look, I've competed against Andy, Kelly, and Gabe, and I feel like Gabe is uh, yeah, probably the gnarliest. Not only does he have the dogfight in him to go and compete, he has so many tricks in his arsenal that it's hard to control him. You know, I guess with Kelly, he was just so naturally talented that he could just, you know, take off on anything really and just get a score, and uh, that's how he'd win a lot of heats. Uh, Andy was just pure dogfight. You know, he didn't care if he upset anyone or anything like that. Where Gabe is probably a, a mix of both of these guys. But I sort of feel like I'm seeing a bit of a change in Gabe now. I feel like he's at a point where he wants his surfing to do the talking. He's had some time off, obviously everyone has, but it looks like he's enjoying his surfing. He wants to go out and just go and put on a show, not only for himself, but for the fans. And I'm really liking this new invention of Gabe Medina. I, I think it's exciting. I think a lot of people jumped on the Gabe train this event and going back to the the question is he the most dominant I I think so Oof, that's a big call you know I'm gonna I'm gonna have to stick with Kelly Slater on this one Kelly has 11 whole titles for that I just can't get past that and at least half of those was won with a lot of tactics I mean Kelly, you know, as you mentioned, you know, he's definitely, I would say, slightly more of a natural surfer than Gabriel, or he, he probably relied on his talent. But I'd go back to that just being part of the, the 90s and that era that he was from, where he just pushed past his competition. None of his peers could even match his talent. So there was a couple of world titles there where he definitely just outsurfed people, but half of them, for sure, he's, he's just such a tactician. Um, he's just constantly computing, constantly so desperate and hungry to win. To this very day, Kelly still has to win. He's 49. I don't know, it'll never be matched how competitive that freak is. 
Yeah, I, Kelly's definitely competitive for sure. He doesn't like losing. Even if it's in a conversation, he won't like losing. My sort of theory is when you're surfing against both these guys, I just always felt like Gabe will just go out and just stranglehold you. He'd be happy with two fives on the board and then just go and stranglehold you. Where Kelly sort of wouldn't do that. He would he would surf a little bit more and he would want his surfing to, to be the standout. Where Gabe was like, he'll do it, do it just for the win. I felt surfing against Gabe, you would come in just scratching your head a little bit more. Like, how did I just let that happen? Where Kelly, I felt like he would just sneak waves underneath you a lot of the time. He wouldn't always fight for the inside. He wouldn't get right up in your face a lot of the time where Gabe was doing that day in, day out. Yeah, I, this is where I agree with you. I, out of the two, between Kelly and Gabriel, I would say uh, Gabriel is a little more cutthroat for sure. But Kelly has a big portion of that as well. He's Jordan and Kobe Bryant put together. You know, his numbers are just freakish. Um, and right now he's at home thinking about winning. He's just a freak. Yeah, look, we could probably even compare, you know, Gabe's up to 15 wins. You know, that that's freakish in itself. You know, he, he came on first year, first six months, he won two events. You know, I feel like if his career goes as long as Kelly's, would his numbers outweigh? You know, if we reel back some of those world titles and if they both match together throughout the whole careers, it'd be interesting to see how the numbers would stack up at the end of their lifetimes. I wouldn't advise... Gabriel or anyone else to try and do what Kelly's doing. I mean, he's an alien. I don't think it's good for your health to try and be competitive until you're 50. (laughs) (laughs) I thoroughly enjoyed both sides of that debate so much. Medina is exceeding all expectations, but let's talk about the expectations that haven't lived up to the hype for Heat 3. At the start of the Aussie leg, there were high hopes for John coming off his Pipe Masters win. Julian Wilson had the potential to bring the Aussies back to dominance, and Tyler Wright's reset had her sitting high on the leaderboard. But not much has panned out for some of the CT's top tier. So for Heat 3, who has served up the biggest disappointment thus far? Ross, from a coach's standpoint, what's your assessment? There's two examples that, that are kind of glaring out to us right now. And that would probably be John John and Tyler, being that they're just so dominant past world champions and have everyone has high expectations on them. And they had two very disappointing results. But John is ripping right now. I, I would think John is definitely holding his own right now with Intel and Gabriel. So he has that to sort of cling to and go, okay, you know, at least my boards are working great. Where I'm struggling a little bit with Tyler Wright is I just didn't see her performance living up to her standards. She looked a little misplaced at times. She didn't compete obviously that sharp, which is already weird for her. Another telltale sign for me that Tyler wasn't surfing that great, Mick, was her board was pretty flat. She wasn't getting it on rail that much. To me, you know, she was surfing at about 50, 60%. So for her, she's got, you know, the competition side of things, but she's also got to just plain and simple get back to ripping. I'm going to have to disagree with you here, Ross. I feel like Tyler is surfing good. You know, you, you talk about her board being flat. That was the waves. There wasn't much to them. There wasn't like a steepness to it. What I sort of see out of these two people is something that I asked you a few weeks back is ring rust. 
I saw John give up a wave to Morgan Siblick. That was by far the best wave of the heat. I've never seen John do that before. Is there ring rust creeping in? To me, that says there is a little bit. And that can be said for the same for Tyler. She's been away for three years too. So her competitive strategies are probably not up to par to where she was. I think mentally she's fine. I think it's more ring rust on both their sides where they just, they haven't actually been in those situations enough under the microscope. In saying that, I feel like they'll bounce back so quick. You know, you mentioned how Tyler maybe was surfing flat due to the wave at Narrabeen. Uh, Narrabeen was this, you know, it was super square. So I don't know, like he had to be you're out there. To, to, to perform good turns. Yeah, I mean, it was dumpy. It was it was very, very vertical. And she was definitely, you know, looked a little flat in a few turns. So, you know, that's where I totally disagree with you. I, I wasn't uh, impressed with Tyler. And, and, and I feel confident saying uh, I'm not trying to roast Tyler because I know she's going to bounce back, as you said. She, You know, Tyler rips. I, I had her on my fantasy teams. She's a great surfer. She just looked off. I spoke to Tyler about her Newcastle event, and she said she was two metres away from catching a 9.5. She said if she paddled harder off the ski, then she would have been on a wave which would have turned the heat. We wouldn't even be having this conversation. Well, this is why they're world champs, right? We'll see uh, We'll see how they bounce back, bounce back in WA. Exactly, all good champs bounce back, man. I'm not a world champ, but personally, I think I've totally forgotten how to compete by now. When we return, the new locations of Newcastle and Nervin have led to excitement and unexpected upsets. But has it been good for the tour? We're going deep into this one when we come back. Welcome back to Getting Heated. Nick and Ross, with the COVID adjustments, we've seen a reimagined tour this year. So far, how do you think the surfers have handled the pivot? Speaking to the crew around the locker room, they're just stoked to be out surfing. They're stoked to be uh, walking around freely, so to say. Mick, a couple of meat pies, a couple of schooners. Everyone on tour right now is in heaven. They don't want to leave Australia. Let's go deeper into the new venues and how they impact the 2021 season. Newcastle and Narrabeen have put a spotlight back on the premium of competing. Is this change in a venue a crowd pleaser and exactly what we needed? Or let's never go back again. Mick, what do you think? Crowd pleaser, yes. Uh, I think judging from the people that were on the beach, you've never seen people froth out so hard. Um, from Newcastle and Narrabeen, that people just embraced surfing i think everyone's so stoked to see sport on a global scale but also bringing it to their home beaches around major cities people were fighting to get in to uh get a piece of sand but for me the the wave situation i would way rather have seen snapper and bells than into margaret river um i feel like uh you know even on the best days that we had still don't live up to those point breaks. And I want to see the world's best surfers in the world's best waves. You know, I don't think we got the world's best waves in these first two events. I couldn't agree more, Mick. Um, and it, there's something to be said of, you know, how important it is and how much impact uh, it makes when you bring the world tour to these, to these uh, you know, amazing surf cities. Because Narrabeen and Newcastle, they deserve that. They're freaking awesome surf towns. and. They have so many, um, you know, 
uh, just diehard surf fans. That being said, I agree with you. You know, I mean, Australia has better waves to offer. Um, so this is a pandemic. We're, we're dealing with it. We, we get it, you know, but uh, Bells um, and, and the Goldie, I mean, they're just so good. And, and, and what I like about it as far as a competing part is it really does level the playing field, in my opinion. You know, these shifty beach breaks, which Newcastle and Aragon are, it just brings a bit of luck factor back in which is exciting for the crowd and you know and, and and there's something to be said for that but like you said Mick I want to see these guys just and, and women tee off on the best waves possible it feels like these beach break events it sort of goes back to the rookies that have just come off the QS with tricky conditions and yeah going back to competing a little bit more uh I feel like when the leg was going it used to be like Brazil it'd be like all right this is going to be a tricky event. We're going to see a rookie do really well, or we're going to see a wild card do well, just because, you know, the forever changing conditions. And I felt like we saw that a little bit. Like you have a look at the top top 10 on both sides of men and women, no one would have scripted that. Um, you know, it goes back to hashtag can't script this. But um, it's, it's a very different top 10 to what we're seeing. And I think that's due to the conditions that we've had. Uh, you know, I think when we're in premium waves, people that we haven't seen shine, like someone like a Michelle Berez with that extra oomph and power can really shine on these point breaks and in the media waves. 100%. Um, so in a weird way, I think 2021 and, and especially, you know, these new venues that are a little bit tricky for waves. They should be and, and are being celebrated. And, and, and in a lot of ways, it's nostalgic for me because when I competed on tour through the 90s, we used to always go to Narrabeen. We used to go to Japan in the summertime. We used to go to France in the summertime and have these huge crowds. And that energy that you get from those events are, are very cool. And, you know, in a way, it's kind of missed. But, man, you just can't replace quality waves you know we want to see a world champion develop from surfing the best waves around the planet so it's cool because we're celebrating these beach cities um but yeah i'm looking forward to 2022 and i want to see you know the best performances i think the surf has actually felt really refreshed though you know they've they've been away for a year or so uh pipeline there wasn't anyone on the beach and so to go to a place where surfing was celebrated so hard, uh, I think that the surfers really fed off that energy, which was really cool. Um, and I, I felt, I think they felt like they were back in the, the arena where they always strive to be. So on that side of it, to Newcastle and Narrabeen, well done. It was, the, the turnout from the fans was incredible. Um, but yeah, I'm more of a, a traditionalist on point break, so I'll just go back to the points. <laughs> <laughs> well, I certainly enjoy the drama. I mean, the show. <laughs> that does it for today's episode. Guys, it was fun to be back in the mix with you both. Thanks for keeping my seat warm. Yeah, Coco, welcome back.